Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne. And today, guys, we're chatting with Katherine Reitman. She's an American-Canadian actress. She's a producer. She's a writer. And she is the creator and star of the Netflix series Workin' Moms, which I'm sure a lot of you have checked out. If you haven't, you should. It's fun. It's illuminating. It You will feel seen. You will feel heard. And um, and you'll definitely get a good laugh and maybe a good cry. Um, and we are chatting with her today about life in quarantine. Obviously, she's got two little boys. Um, she is still writing and just hearing a bit from her about the postpartum depression that fueled and inspired in many ways her creation of this show that has come to be such a wonderful release and uh, mirror for so many moms who I think um, look to find and and were searching for a guide to find their identity after becoming moms. So I think you'll really love to hear this interview with Katherine Reitman. Hey guys, I am Katherine Reitman. I am a Taurus. Uh, I am not a vegetarian. I'm a meat eater. Uh, I am probably most well known for, I make a show called Working Moms on CBC and Netflix. Uh, and I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> and where can we follow you? Uh, you can follow me at WriteKatu, R-E-I-T-C-A-T-O-U, uh, on both Instagram and Twitter. Catherine, you have two, right? Six and three? I just turned four, yeah. Uh, did you have a quarantine birthday? Sure did. Oh, geez. Tell me about that. What a nightmare, guys. What a really? nightmare no. this all is. And uh, I think I can speak for all of us when I say we have it pretty good compared to most. But like, right. I also had a birthday last week. And I just want to give birthday. my... Happy birthday. Thanks, guys. I just want to give my birthday away and give any sort of sense of love and excitement to my to my little guy cuz he just kept saying coronavirus stole my stole my birthday mommy it took it oh <sighs> he so he gets that much at that at at 4 that's amazing maybe cuz he's got a big brother but yeah he i mean we don't go into death counts but we we're being pretty right. transparent about this is what's going on this is why you're at home homeschool no friends etc that really is i think what's getting to my kids is just that they miss their friends and they miss just doing normal activities. And, and there's this moments where we kind of like freak out or like maybe there will be a package and they want to go and like rip it around. Like, no, I touch it. We yes. have to Clorox it. And at the beginning as well, like they're seeing all of a sudden all these like harsh chemicals that my family were like super namaste in, in like the harsh chemical yeah, yeah, way. Yeah. Now we are not namaste. There's like Clorox this and Lysol that everywhere. And, um, and my daughter was like, mommy, you do realize that kills the good germs too. And I'm like, I know. You You're like, you need to sit down to- and just exactly. let me take the wheel. For now. For now. <laughs> I know. And I think it's the hardest for the kids because it's like, you know, they want to go to the beach. They want to go to In-N-Out Burger. They want to do all the stuff that they're used to doing. And I, I don't want to be the bad. I'm, I feel like I'm the policeman all the time. No, you you have to, and you're 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 doing at least what I believe is is what's right. You know, right. You're just taking it really safe, and that's what I keep on saying to my kids. We're doing all of this to keep you safe, and I know like it feels like a lot, but it's not going to be forever. Right. Uh, but the hardest thing is then they'll be like, "Well, how long?" And you're like, well, I, don't "I don't know. I don't know how anything works." They're like, "Are we going to camp? Are you going to shoot in Toronto this summer?" I'm like, "I don't know. I don't know anything." Yeah. How are you working to try to create some semblance of stability in your house or rhythm or routine or like? Is there any? Is it just chaos? All that, like, what are you 
what, how are you making sense of everything? I guess it's not full chaos, like the definition of It chaos. looks very serene over there, like the portrait lamps and the cute white oh, puppy. Oh, thank everything you. Everything no, looks yes. lovely. And my dog, little, my little, little dog, dog in the back. Bouncing so around. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's all looking very Jane Eyre, isn't it? It's not. Um, more, I walked away. More Nancy Myers. <laughs> yeah, it's more Nancy Myers, totally. Jane Eyre would be like candlelight. Um, yeah, it, I'm, I'm living with my parents right now, and... Um, who live in Santa Barbara, California. We usually live in Toronto. Uh, I grew up in LA. And um, I think there's chaos as far as like, imagine living with your parents if you had a six and four-year-old. Like my dad has no tolerance for a, like every single mealtime. My kids are two boys and they're high energy boys. And they're, you know, they don't know how to sit down through a meal time. They're always screaming. They're always competing with each other. They think they're ninjas. <laughs> and so uh, it's not just me trying to parent them, but me also trying to protect them from my parents, huh. comfort right. my parents, right. discipline the kids. I feel like I'm this weird ref. Yeah. Um, so that's very chaotic energy. Yeah. I don't know. Like we used to sort of be focused on like, okay, do you remember when everyone was going crazy on social media? Because there was this like schedule that came out that was rainbow colored. Yes, I saw that. And yes. everyone was printing it and like pink put it on her wall. And we were like, okay, we just follow the schedule. And everything's going to be normal. That, it didn't last a day <laughs> no. in my house. A day it didn't last. I feel like, thank God for Zoom school, even though my son is not a Zoom school kid. I really don't think any of them are at this age. Yeah. It's like Zoom is the, it's, it's amazing in so many ways. I mean, we can be doing what we're doing right now. Yeah. But like when my three and four-year-olds, when they have their Zoom meetings, the entire time I'm just chasing them <laughs> and carrying them back and then running their – and they always have oh, Zoom yeah. meetings at like same time. So I'm like trying to run in two separate directections. It's, do you do earphones on all, uh, headphones on all of them? We we do sometimes. We've tried, but sometimes that doesn't always that doesn't always work. Because then um, you don't know what's going on, and later if there's homework, you're like, I don't know what this is. And then there's the muting, and then the unmuting because there could be like <laughs> lots of people in the class. I mean, it, it's just it's just the whole thing. I was reading an article this morning, and Daphne, I sent it to you about just how kids are having really yeah, really having that. a hard time. It's with, too hard with the homeschool. But, and, you know, then you look and you say, hey, this might be, this might be the fall semester too. You think that's happening? I, I'm so terrified of that. I, I do. Yeah. I do. I really do think that, well, back to your point about the schedule and that everyone, everyone start, especially all like the type A parents out there who are like, I can get a schedule. I'm good at yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. Got that schedule, stuck it on their damn wall. And it stressed us all out. Like yes. what I finally have come to terms with is. I don't homeschool for a reason. Like there's a part of there's a part of the dynamic that I have with my kids that's different than it would be if I was their teacher full time, if I was their guide in that world full time. And I think parents have that parents who are not skilled at the at the homeschool situation, which I think a lot of which is most of us, which is most of us would still be excellent teachers, quote unquote, of our children, not in the traditional school sense, but in the sense of like, teach them life lessons, let them have fun, let them explore, let them get dirty, let them do like weird, cool stuff that they have opportunity to do now. uh, But but not try to replicate this school situation, the school-like environment that you're never going to be good at no. and never, not that I shouldn't say that, you're never going to be able to do as well as your amazing teachers could. And it just stresses us all out and stresses our kids out. And it made me feel way, just like I breathed, I breathed for the first time and had just a sigh of relief when I was mm, like, you know what, the pressure we're going to do as much of this as we can each day. And some days my kids are really just not going to have it. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to ruin my relationship with them to try to force them to stick with this 
hopeful plan, you know, and right. I just, but it, it's hard at the same time. Cause then you have to collaborate with your, with the teachers as well. Have you guys oh, yeah, had parent teacher conferences yet? Because we had yes. Yes. parent-teacher conferences. And yeah. so my, my four-year-old that was screaming pissed at me this morning, <laughs> um, he they're like, Rafa is the most positive, energetic participant in class. And I was like, the one that's screaming and telling me that he does not like me, that I'm a mean mommy. And he always does this. He's like, am I going to be doing this forever? For always? Is it too much homework? And I'm like, no, no, it's just two pages. You can totally manage it. It's two pages. And I was like, are you talking about the same child? I mean, they completely change when they're with us. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. No, we do like a... um my big guy is like really good with numbers, thank God, because I am not. And we got him like a math tutor that does this, like Zoom's just one-on-one. And it's the only one-on-one time where I think like, okay, maybe he won't fully fall behind like he is with the rest of Zoom, where I am swear to God, right. he's like making Legos on the other side of the room if I leave. Because I'm also running yes. my season five writer's room at the exact same time. So I can't be with him all the time. And I'll go check on him and I'm like, all right, cool. You haven't learned a single thing. You don't even know what she's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) But the math thing, the numbers thing, he does incredibly well. And I tried to sit, we got, we had off yesterday and I'm like, I'm going to sit with him through math and feel really good about myself as a mother. Even though I have nothing to do with it. I don't get any of it. Yeah. It wasn't even that. Like, he literally wouldn't do anything in front of me. Like, to your parent-teacher conference thing. I was like, all right, Jackson, what do we get? Let me see what I'm doing. And he literally was just like, and she was like, she goes, no offense, this amazing, sweet teacher. And she's like, can you leave? Yes. She asked me to leave. And I was like, this I'm like, you know i'm paying you right I've, i'm the reason for all this so i walked out and apparently he had a hell of a session oh well there you go second i left then, he was like all stars they're just like you can leave them and they won't kill themselves right for the most part the boys are a little but the younger yeah, too and i've got three boys boys it's, are crazy yeah 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 boys the boys are crazy they really are crazy whereas carmen is like my my daughter, she's like there with her Barbies. She's obsessed with Barbies. I was too. It's all right. It's okay. It's interesting because a lot of the, her friends, their parents are not allowing them to play with Barbies at No, all. really? And I feel like very, you know, she'll take her Barbies out and her friends will be like, Carmen, I'm going to have to get off the phone. Stop it. Playing with Barbies. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with Barbies? It's stereotype I don't stuff? Know. And they come in all different shapes and sizes and colors and everything right now. Right. So it's like, it's not even like the old school thing. They're like, they, they, it's all sorts of different. Is it, is it all doll play? Like, would trolls be okay? Right. Or is it Barbies specifically? No, it's Barbies. It's Barbies. I can't it's imagine just... they could hang with brats. Remember those brats dolls? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Barbie yeah. is just like the same way that you, you know how like you play um, like grocery store or like restaurant? You're it's just role just, playing. You're role yes. playing tiny You're role adults, playing. That's all it is. Yeah. At least she'll sit there and, you know, not you know, be drive you crazy things and, and so yeah. well, that she drives me crazy in other ways. Trust me. Um, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your background. Um, I know that you were a child actress and you come from showbiz family. Tell us a little bit. I wasn't really a child actress. I mean, I grew up, so my father's a filmmaker. And so talk about zoom school when I was a kid, instead of being the dad that would disappear, he would take all of us basically wherever he was shooting. So kindergarten cop, uh, shot in uh, Oregon. And so the whole family moved up there. Or like, you know, we would we'd go with him places uh, and sometimes I'd miss some of the school year. And I think because I had a propensity to, you know, I like to make people laugh. He would put me in. I'd get one line in a movie and usually I'd embarrass myself. And now it is on my IMDb page because I'm now an actress. But I, I think I had a pretty actually, despite what I just said, normal childhood. I had two really lovely Canadian parents. Um, I was born in Los Angeles, 
I, I, I went to USC, I graduated, and then I went to the Groundlings, which is like a comedy, uh, like an improv comedy house, like a feeder to SNL, like a second city. And I learned a ton about writing there. And then, yeah, I, I, I was largely an out of work actress for a long time. And then I had, I had my first son, Jackson, who's six. And I was working a little bit more at that point. I went back to work really quickly. And uh, I didn't know at the time, because even six years ago, I think the conversation around postpartum depression wasn't really happening the way it is now. And I brought it up with my mommy and me group. And I said, you know, I'm having these crazy fantasies. Like I'm, I'd be driving and I would picture that like a truck would hit my car and I'd be put in the hospital for like a week or two and that it would just like take all the responsibility away. Like I'd be alive. The kids are fine. Everything's you know, like maybe I'd have one scar to bring up at dinner parties, but really I'm okay. It's just a chance for me to put my feet up. And I told this to the mommy and me group and they were like, like nobody wanted to talk about what the hell was going on with me. And I felt crazy. I felt legitimately like, okay, I'm broken now. I'm never going to be the same person I was. And I, my husband told me to write about it. And I shot a little eight minute sizzle that turned into be working moms. And we sold it to, uh, in Canada. Uh, to the CBC, which is like the BBC in England. It's like a public broadcaster. And then we sold it to Netflix about a year ago. And yeah, that's sort of the rundown of how the show came to be. I, it's it's a very funny show. Thanks. <laughs> it's Thank very, you. very funny. How much of that first season was drawn from your own personal experience? Or was like, you just described the writer's room, was it full of moms who've had similar experiences? Like, how did you, and how did you get comfortable sharing about what Kent, especially while you're still working through it, before you're like on the other side can still be a very raw and vulnerable subject. Totally. Um, my writer's room was largely non-moms. Even six years ago, I'll go back to it, it, it felt like the TV and the movies I were watching about motherhood represented it in this like really one-dimensional light. Like it was either this like broad comedy or it was like this like sort of after-school mm -hmm. special type of thing. And I wasn't seeing a lot of three-dimensional fleshed out moms who were still sexy and smart and interesting and and, you know, aspiring to be who they were before they became mothers. And so it was all the scripts I were reading, the samples I was reading, because at this point, the show was a nothing. Felt like kind of momities is what they were called. So in the room, it was largely my experiences with people who wrote dramas. <laughs> and because uh, I just wanted this like real feeling. And um, I trusted that the comedy would come. And it did. And we were lucky enough to have an exceptional cast. But yeah, it's, it was all sort of drawn from my experiences in season one. Were you always funny? Like, did you grow up funny? Or why, what made you want to go to improv comedy? You know, it's funny you brought up Barbies, because I think that a lot of the things we frown upon now for our kids are what helped them create and carve out who they're going to be. We have a line that we just used on season four of the show uh, that Anne says, that says, oh, I'm going to f*** it up now. But it was like, if we just stop yelling at our kids to be the person we want them to be, we could actually see who they are. And I watched like a ton of cartoons. I used to watch tons of cartoons and I would like be acting out with my Barbies. I had thousands of Barbies. They were always naked. They were always like in the bathroom <laughs> with their hair ruined. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> with that yes. hair like hair. Why is that so yes. gratifying? <laughs> and I think the cartoons and the role playing I would do with these dolls sort of informed uh, my sense of humor and who I was. And it gave me this like really safe place to explore and make mistakes. And um, anyway, I, I love to get a laugh. I remember at some point I was such a class clown. My teacher said, all right, 
you can have the first 10 minutes of history or whatever it is. Stop. And you can put on a play <laughs> if you just shut the f up for the rest of class. Was basically what she told me. That's so incredible. And so at recess, I would boss oh around. I was gosh. called bossy a lot. I would boss all the, my friends around, the kids around. I'd put together a, a, what would turn into like a half an hour long play. We'd put it on in class. And I think it just sort of grew from there. Isn't that funny? I used to do the same thing with, I'd make like my whole class work out. Hilarious. I'd be like, all right, chin-ups, we're going to over here, push-ups here. And like, I literally would see it. So that is the luckiest class ever. All those parents were like, thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't know why they listen to me. I really don't. But it's funny that it worked out that way. And it's, I'm thinking back now to every birthday I had pre the age of like probably 15, where I made everyone bake cookies. Everybody had to make some cookies. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it's like we are who we are who we are. But that's what, that's what like one of the, my favorite things about motherhood has always been is that it was, my children were born exactly who they are. They, their personalities, their loves, those are the wonderful little spark in them. They come with that, which is just. It is cool. It's so interesting that all three of us saw it. So yeah, totally. And I think like there is going to be a narrative that our kids are telling their therapists and or boyfriends, girlfriends, friends eventually. And we have something to do with it. And we can either like help them out Mm -hmm. and like get out of the way at the right moments and let them fail and let them learn from that failure. Or we can micromanage. And I'm I'm definitely not a micromanage parent. But I also think I am to a flaw not a micromanage because I could probably help out. I think I'm too hands off. No, but it sounds like, you know, I mean, especially what you're talking about in dinner time and ninjas and stuff like that. It sounds like you are, you know, following your gut, whereas like my kids are who they are and uh-huh. I need to make sure that they have the space in order to be able to practice that, which might be like, dad, you need to stop it right now. Oh yeah. There's been confrontation. Both have been disciplined. All sides have been disciplined. Awesome. Yeah. That's how I, that's how, that's how I feel. <laughs> except we just like fill in the blank with my husband. Right. So my hus- that's oh, husband husband's gets disciplined too. Husband uh, is, is always the discipline. Get, <laughs> then my kids will say all the time, like Alec will try to uh, say something to my kids and they're like, you're not the boss. Mommy is the boss. You don't make the decisions of me. Mommy makes the decisions of me. And he looks at me and I'm like, it's true. It's true. It's true. I don't know what to tell you. It's true. I'm having 40 children for I you. I can't lie to my kids. It's, 40. It's just, it's just the facts of our household. Now, you know, in terms of being open with your, with your postpartum, um, journey. Yeah. Other than journaling and sharing your story, were there other things that you found? Cause this is something that, you know, a lot of our listeners, um, have experienced and have great interest in. Um, is there anything else that you can share with us just in terms of how you got yourself out of that? Oh God. Wouldn't it be great if there was just a way to get out of it? Um, what is your manual? What is your manual? Step my by step. Manual, I'm kidding. My, I'm kidding. Yeah, exactly. My, where, where is my switch? Um, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm switch free. And I had it with both kids. And you'd think after making a TV show. So basically, I had the first one, had postpartum depression, wrote this thing. Nothing happened with this thing. I sold it, this show. I sold it to initially FX as a pilot. Rights got reverted back. They passed on it. And I sat on it for five years while I continued to be a working mother of one got pregnant with my second guy, Liam, who's now four. And the day after I discovered I was pregnant with him was the day that all of a sudden working moms got greenlit to whole series at CBC. So I was all of a sudden this mother of two and I, I was pregnant through the writer's room of it, gave birth. And when he was five weeks old, we moved to Canada to make the show. And you'd think even though I had postpartum, 
that I would like have been able to really like identify like, oh yeah, that's that stage. And uh, I think I'm, I'm falling back into it. Like on the weekends, for example, when we'd be shooting, and this could also be just production life, but I would like a quiet moment would happen where I wasn't like either on set or with the kids. And I would find myself just crying, you know, the kind of crying that comes like out of your deepest, deepest. And I'd be like, holy, where I'm like, no, I can't, I'm not going to get through today. Today is done. This is it for my life. Thank you. It's been, you know, like carry on. And like, I would just find myself in my closet crying in this crazy way. And then a few hours later, I'd be making dinner and everything would be fine. And like, I wouldn't even, and I didn't know I had postpartum depression again. I just figured, oh, I'm just exhausted. Oh, I'm just working too hard. Oh, this must be just a little hormonal moment. And it wasn't until I wrapped production on the first season and Liam was four months that my therapist was like, honey, you got it again. Um, and I, the second that I was able to talk about it, the second that she labeled it actually mm-hmm. for me, maybe some mm-hmm. people find the labeling very limiting. I found it freeing. I was like, oh, it's just that? Oh, okay, I'm not gonna die. This is just mm-hmm. a thing. It's not who I am. It's a passing train. <laughs> and I just gotta, I just gotta stay alive through it. Um, I just have to talk about it. I gotta try to make art when I can. I gotta cry and not judge myself for those cries. That conversation, you know, which I know is like linked a lot, like, you know, people who go through deep depression, it's the conversation that sort of lightens that load. For me, it was anyway. Oh, that's great advice. I'm, I'm, while you're saying that, I'm thinking about just how people emotionally are dealing with right now. Ugh. And a lot of it is that. I mean, I will have these these moments where I just, you know, when my kids are sleeping usually, yeah. like, you know, I'll just cry. And I'm like, I'm so frustrated. And it's just sometimes it seems so scary. And, you know, it just seems like it's never ending. And then you go to these outlets that you're talking about talking to somebody, whether it's a therapist, a friend, a spouse, any of these, your, your children in some ways, in some appropriate way. Yeah. Um, and, or, you know, painting or doing something that for yourself is therapeutic. And, and that's kind of how we have to go through any difficult time. The working out of it actually helped me a lot too. Yeah. Like being physical has mm-hmm. made like a big difference for me personally. Cause it also like that endorphin thing is real. I I'm, I'm sort of hooked on it right now. It's getting me through a lot of mess. Your body has a physical reaction to all of your emotions. Yes. So if you're stressed, your body has a reaction. If you're happy, if you're in love, we all have these physical reactions. So the more that we can move our body, the more in tuned we get with, whoa, this is what I'm feeling right yeah. now. And is it serving me? Is this a good feeling? Or is it a bad feeling? And if it's a bad feeling, I can work on it in my mind, but my body doesn't have to suffer right. in a tense response. Right. So yeah, the more that we get in touch with it, the less our body has to suffer for for all of our stresses. Well, thanks, Bod. (laughs) I wonder also if like when you are committed to taking good care of your body in a way that you just described, I wonder if you also consciously or not start making better eating choices. And I always like my only real experience with um, with postpartum, I I wouldn't say it was depression, it was like anxiety for me, but it was was after my third child was born. And I'd gotten a big dose of antibiotics in the hospital and my gut bacteria was completely Oof. wiped out. And I was like, I just, just as you described, would have these just rolling waves of like, and it was so out of body. Mm-hmm. I would feel so, you know, this isn't right. me. And I, I like recognize rationally that everything here is good and makes sense. But this feeling is horrible and, and out of control. Um, and I was talking to my grandma on the phone, you know, at some point later in the week and she said, you know, have you taken any probiotics? Have you had anything to replenish this store of, of, you know, the, the, 
the the little live things that actually help to create your mood, help your body to absorb all its nutrition, help to you know set off this whole chain reaction of important systems in your body. And I hadn't. So anyway, I took I have said this on the podcast before, but I've t- I took like a couple big doses of probiotics and leveled it out, and it was literally night and day. It was really? so crazy. But anyway, all where that to were say, you a couple years oh my gosh, ago? It was, I could have used some couple yogurts. I know, man. <laughs> but I do think I do I do think that. Um, it's interesting also because I, you know, obviously everyone's baking banana bread right now and they're doing all this like stress baking. I mean, you can't buy flour in the grocery stores anymore. You can't buy, God forbid you wanted like some dry yeast. It would never happen. Um, and it's and it's fascinating to me because on the one hand, we crave these things because we're stressed and we crave them because they taste delicious and we crave them because they're fun things to do as a family. But on the other, I start thinking like, are we are we nourishing the part? Are we, are we feeding our body with things that are going to help our stress response, are going to help our balance our emotions, are going to help us um, you know, stay strong from the inside out, or are we giving it the very things that that more make depressed. us more uh, addicted, yeah. more depressed, more you know, more sick? All these things. So I'm probably in the latter camp. I feel like I've been eating like garbage, but then I'll work out like a, a maniac, and by night, but like all day I'm good, and then by dinner time with the kids, I'm a total ass. I just eat like an idiot. Well, plus then you, then you have to finish all their food too. Because That's you it. Don't waste and anything, that does, right? th- those calories don't count. I hear. <laughs> no, they do not. That is doing something good uh, at for all. the. They're for negative, the world. actually <laughs> negative calories. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. It's it's soul absolution plus negative calories. That's it. And I'm not going to waste. I'm not going to see how good our math is. <laughs> so good. We're geniuses. I do want to ask you because I, Catherine, I feel like you know, Alari and I get asked a lot. You know, how do you juggle? We you know, we've got lots of kids and lots of things going on. How do you make sense of your world? And then we look at what you have done in terms of mother to two young boys, head writer and lead in this show that is largely about your life. Like, how do you, in pre-corona times or now, how do you actually like set that structure for yourself so you can get those things done? Because, you know, I know so many working parents where things are falling through the cracks because there just physically are not enough hours in the day to do everything. So I'm always curious to learn, like, is there a schedule that for your life that has made a lot of sense? Or like, how do you how do you just make room for the things that you have their obligations you can't turn down? I'd say that most people, uh, to answer your question sloppily, and I fail a lot, but I think I think like most people who are high functioning and have full time work, like there's got to be some give like there there's something in the system that we're not seeing. Like there's either a nanny helping Mm -hmm. out in some cases, um, which I'm lucky enough to have. I, Phil and I both work full time Mm -hmm. and our nanny who lives very close has only been coming here and back, um, which some would argue is very risky, but we couldn't do our work otherwise. So there's that, that makes a tremendous difference. And we're very, very lucky to have her. And then it's just, you know, like realizing, especially since this quarantine has happened, I mean, before the quarantine happened, I would be away from home. So I could get a lot more done. Um, being home is just harder because they can, they, they know where I am right now. Like I had to bribe both of them for these, the two interviews I have this morning where I'm like, do not come in the room. Look at me. Do not come in the room. And, but they do they're They like, you know, they interrupt all the time. Ours do too. You might, they you might see in. children at some point. <laughs> You're in good company. They, mine might come in and like, and it's always when they're like, do you want to hear how loud I can fart? Like, it's just, yeah. they'll, it'll be right when I'm like, the thing about parenting is you have to be incredibly yes. like, and then they'll come in and make an ass of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like being home with them, you have to like, uh, luckily I'm the boss of my room, right? So they all know I've got kids, the kids are going to run in. There's a, there's compassion that must be shown all around because there's just limitations to what we're doing right now. Um, I work out really early in the morning because it's the only time that no one's 
discovered me. I always say like, I think the thing that's taken the biggest toll in my life is friendships. I don't nurture my friendships enough because something's got to give. And like, I'll, I'll try, like I, I'm making more of an effort every year where I'm like, okay, it's season five. I should be able to like carve out more time for friendships, but there's only so many hours of the day. And I, I'm, I'm failing at that a lot. And then we also have to be wives, right? I mean, like at the end of the day, I climb into bed and I'm like, I just want to read. I don't even want to watch TV. That's how low energy I am. I just want to read a page and pass out. Mm-hmm. And Phil will be like, he's like a little puppy. He wants to talk about the day. And I'm like, oh God, I feel like it's very hard to nurture all these relationships in addition to like work and parent. And your husband also works on the show on, on working yes. with you. Is yes, right? he plays my husband on the show and he EPs it with me and. It's wonderful in that sense, because like, let's say you have a win at work and your partner understands what you do, but they're not there all day with you. Like he knows exactly what my win looks like, feels like, sounds like. So you can celebrate. I can celebrate with him in a way that I wouldn't, let's say, of ex-boyfriends of the past. Um, But it also means like work is all around me. Right. It's in my bed. Mm -hmm. It's at my breakfast table. it's, It's over my glass of wine. It's everywhere, especially in these quarantine conditions. How do you find, um, if you can, how are you finding your me time? I mean, very little. If I'm being candid, like it's it's really little. Um, I'm used to that a little bit, but, you know, uh, the workout of it helps. Very long showers. Don't tell California, but I take a long shower. <laughs> um, you know, just the it's the small moments. I definitely like when I'm in production, like I'll I'll go to the bathroom and I'll stay. I'll just like, this sounds gross, but like I'll sit on the toilet for a while, not doing anything, just like taking a few seconds to myself. And looking at the stall around you and being like, I'm alone. (laughs) And then you see the little feet next to you in the next stall and you're like, oh no, just go away. Yes. (laughs) You have to just get those ab muscles going as you lift your feet up so they can't see. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Solo time is few and far between. What are are some important important things that on your show in terms of um, themes about working mom that um, that you feel are relatable to to the average mother that you feel are really important to push across, and is it about you know is is it about talking about these things? Not of of course creating a story that is interesting and fun, but also giving some kind of relief to people watching. Oh yeah, I mean, season one was really about the identity crisis that happens right after you have your first kid right? Where you're like, am I the same person? Because it doesn't feel like it. Hormonally, I've changed. Physically, I've changed. Emotionally, I have fears that I've never had before. And there's the stuff that you hear a lot about like that. And then there's these tiny little things like, am I still sexy? Am I still interesting? Am I going to be able to keep up? That's not tiny. That's like the femininity element of it. And the like, do I still live in my body the way I used to? I don't think that's little at all. I think it's It's huge. huge. And like, we have this character on our show named Jenny, who is a, a character that has, that has a stronger ego and her vanity is a really loud part of it. All four characters, Kate, Frankie, Anne, and Jenny were uh, conceived as different aspects of, I thought my biggest flaws as a parent. Uh, my blind ambition, mm. which I often paid a price for, my anger in Anne, uh, my self-destructive lost child in Frankie and my real vanity as Jenny. As Jenny. And it's it's those it's all those flaws that actually make us really interesting, I think, and funny and human and not these perfect Instagram images that we're seeing on so many people's feeds. Um, so it was really fleshing that out 
in season one that I thought was the relatable aspect of the show. At the time, I didn't know it was relatable. When you're making a show in the beginning, you're just going, am I going to be some indulgent ass that everyone is like, cool, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for showing us all your demons and your breasts. Have a nice day. <laughs> and then you like, <laughs> and then people start, and you know, I was only in Canada for like three years. So out and in Canada, which was this like really lovely place actually to make the show, I was in a, a bit of a vacuum where people were liking it, but they're, they're so polite. They don't speak like in America where like you're, you walk down the street and they're like, you, you changed my life. <laughs> you know, it's just very different in Canada. So all of a sudden when the show dropped yeah. on Netflix, this is three years deep. People were coming up and, and it's when we moved back home because my parents were having some health stuff going on and we moved back home and all of a sudden I'd be in a Starbucks and, you know, people would be like crying and coming up to me and saying that, you know, oh the show, gosh. they felt seen for the first time. And that's when that word relatable that you brought up was like, oh, okay, these aren't just my stories. This isn't just the Catherine show. This is a show about like people are connecting with aspects of it and small, minute aspects that I thought were little, like you were saying, the vanity, it, it sounds tiny to me and embarrassing to me, but in fact, it's this really huge, relatable part of becoming a mother. I think a part of part of what's at the core of of why the conversation took so long to happen. And I do think shows like yours have made the conversation around motherhood just helped to, to be to allow it to be equal parts sobering and somber and and like stressful and all these things and funny and light and like you know recovering um part of who you were too because i i think it took a long time for women to be allowed to acknowledge that you can love your role as mother that you can love who you are as a mother and still miss some of what you used to have and try to reclaim some of that and i think um and i think that that's that's just it's it makes so like when we talk about it right here um, I, I actually asked my husband, I asked John at some point, he was taking a shower and I was like, do you ever think, are you and your friends ever talk about, you know, me time, or like what you do for you? And he was like, what the hell That's are really you funny. Yeah. He had, he had literally no idea what I was, what like that even meant, that it was like not a phrase that existed in his hemisphere. And I, it made, it just like clicked for me as something that it, it why it would seem like a bad thing that women would right. would um would want to be multidimensional and would want to have uh, you know to be allowed to hold on to who they authentically were and not have that be negated by who they now authentically are is um is just fascinating it's not a bad thing it's a great thing no and it's i i talk a lot about it in um like every interview i do i feel like the word selfish comes up like this this word selfish that for so long has had these negative connotations but it's actually really healthy mm -hmm. being selfish being you know having self-love, taking care of yourself. Me time um, is, it's like, it's what, having something that is just yours. You can still love yourself as a mother or be a flawed mother and that be all right. But that you have something that's mm -hmm. just yours, I think is incredibly important. I, I think with what you just, with what you just said in terms of, you know, what we were saying about relatability is that what we find is when we share our demons or like these little things or say, oh, is it okay to be selfish? why it's so powerful is we're all feeling exactly the yeah. same thing. And once people start talking about it, whether it's on a show like yours or on this show, once we talk about it, it's not a secret anymore. It's not scary anymore. It's just out there. And we're like, whoa, yeah, I feel that way too. And is it okay? It's okay because you guys feel that way as well. And we can kind of figure it out together. So I think I think uh, everybody's kind of nodding to themselves, even if they haven't said it out loud. It's almost as if the other way 
is not okay. Like if this yeah. is the human experience, then why are we training ourselves to to pretend, to pretend that yes, yeah. yes. We had um Gabby Bernstein on the podcast a little while ago and she talked about mothering yourself. Mm. I thought that was a really beautiful way of talking about it because you realize that self self-love, self-care, it's not selfish. Like self-preservation is human. You have to take care of yourself to be allowed to take care of everybody else and alive to take care of everybody else. And it's so- Yeah, it's the um, masks on the airplane thing. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Laurie loves that one. Anyway, that's all. <laughs> um, do we get to do fun questions with you now? We, we want to do some rapid fire, spitfire questions Bring it on. Uh, what do you miss most about your pre-social distancing like? Going to the office. I miss getting out of my house and my kids not being able to access me 24 hours a day. What's something you found to be a blessing in quarantine life? You know, it, ha it has been a lesson in being present. Um, you know, I am one of those moms who stares at my phone a lot when I'm with my kids and I'm with them now when I'm out of the room and I walk out of this room, I've been staring, I do Zoom all day. So I've been leaving my phone in my room. I used to just leave my phone in my room for breakfast and dinner. And now I've been leaving it when I leave uh, work. And it has been this, like, I am noticing little things about my kids that I've never noticed before. That probably sounds so bad, but it's true. I'm getting to know them in a in this like incredible way that I, I hadn't, I wasn't before. Have you come up with a, a new hobby or skill since? Doesn't no. sound like you have a lot of time for that. No. <laughs> I, with all these people who are making sourdough bulls, I'm like, uh, cool. I, I, I'm not, I'm not a banana bread maker. I'm not a Pinteresty uh, mother. I, I'm, I'm just trying to get through the day. <laughs> Um, do you have any more rapid fire, Daphne, or should we should we do the, the favorite things? No, no, good, we're good. What's your favorite thing? You just tell us what your favorite thing is. Um, oh, something I've been using a lot that I love is uh, Olaplex hair treatment. Yes, the number three, mm, right? The number the third, three. The third one, you can get on Sephora, it's great. It is, like if you're gonna do, so what I'll do is on the weekend, we have no help, and it'll just be Phil and I, and we carve out, we like make a plan at breakfast where I'm like, okay, Where's your hour? Where's my hour to like, you know, get done just for me. And I'll do like a, I'll do like a quick workout. I'll do like a shorter workout. And then I'll go and like put the mask on, hang out with the kids actually with it on for like 30 minutes. And then, because I'm trying to like stretch that hour out wherever I can, then go wash it out. And it makes a difference. I mean, your hair you feels strong. sleep in it too. What? And you know, yeah, sleep in it. That's what I would do. I love to sleep in masks. And then, so you, you sleep in it. You can even put it on like your hair is not that wet and your hair just like really sucks it in. Amazing. Really? Mm -hmm. And how do you like when you go on your side, because I'm like a side sleeper, does it get your pillow all messy uh -oh. and then it gets on your face? No, I, well, I'll put a towel down yep. on my pillow. I'll put a towel down on my pillow and I'll keep my hair back in like a, yep. a bun or something. I can't sleep with my hair wet or like in a bun. I need it. I need it all over me, like covering my face. But, but I'll tell you my hack for that. That and, and it's only been since quarantine started because I am in my house all the time. I work out in the mornings. I quickly jump in the shower for like a minute just yeah. to get wet. I put my mask in. Then I get out of the shower. I do their Zoom meetings for three hours and then I rinse. And it's so much better than having to try to sleep with wet yes. hair. It has made all the difference in the and world. And it's not too long, like overnight or three hours. I'm, I'm so no, scared that my hair is going to fall out. I don't know about that one. I do. I do. I don't. I don't use that mask. So it's. Um, but no, the and three hours great. for me okay. is great. You just want to make sure it's not a mask yeah. that can change the color of your hair because oh, there sure. are there are yeah. ones out there. But if good ones will tell you if that if it is or or not. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, so dudes. This was fun. We're so so grateful. So this it was nice to have a have a laugh. Yes, definitely. 
the best. All right, guys, that was Catherine. Um, I felt like we were having such a girlfriend talk for a lot of it, and it felt so nice. I mean, especially right now, I don't know about you guys listening, but especially for right now when we are feeling very overwhelmed with everything that's going inside and it is hard to connect with friends, I'm really enjoying this podcast as a way where I'm, you know, it's designated time where I can sit down and I can connect with other people. So I feel very, I very light after having that conversation. I mean, she's so funny. She's so um, joyful. I'm, I always applaud those of us who are brave enough to come forward and, and talk about some of the harder things like postpartum depression. Um, and that is something that a lot of you guys write to us about. So I really enjoyed that conversation. Now it's time for our favorite things. This is a bat. My favorite thing is a jumpsuit that I have been wearing a bunch. So it's Hatch. I don't know if you guys know Hatch Maternity. Of course. Um, okay, so this is the one. It's the, called the Holly Jumper is the one that I've been wearing. And I always, whenever I'm pregnant, which is frequently, I have uh, certain items that are maternity items that I like to keep even when I'm not pregnant. And I can tell that this jumpsuit is going to be like a forever thing. And it's just like so, so comfy. Um, and I just appreciate that because like sometimes like there's maternity clothes that are just not comfortable, which seems ridiculous. It seems like that should be <laughs> illegal because you're so uncomfortable every other way. Love it. Um, okay. My favorite thing this week is actually a kid's coffee maker toy from Tender Leaf Toys. Um, this was a company that I was like, you know, Googling around late one night probably and found, and I love it because all their toys are made from wood. Um, and their, their whole range is really with this idea of building kids, natural play skills and, and their imagination and also replenishing the rubber wood forest. So it's really, um, a very like nice, clean, simple line. They're meant as furniture for their dollhouses, which they also have, which are great, but I just bought my kids these little setups of like the kitchen setup, and I, I'm looking around at the room I'm recording in right now is actually what they where they've where they've done this. They like set up their little oh how cute <laughs> their little cute kitchen. Here's their bathroom. Oh my goodness! <laughs> they, they set up their little like nursery <gasps> over here. So they um anyway they don't have the dollhouse, so they're just setting up these like little tiny mouse pockets everywhere around the room, which is so cute. And uh, the three older ones have been literally like hours. I mean, it is, it is been hours every single day since I bought these things, just like letting their imaginations run wild, playing house, having little setups happen. I bought them these tiny little fairies who are like apparently inhabit these spaces. And then the coffee machine one is, is like a really fun thing because they see John and I make coffee all the time and they always want their own. And now they have like a little toy to do it with. All right, guys, that's it from us this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you guys are staying well and and feeling good and and just making sense of it however we can. Um, We're hanging in here. We're going to keep making episodes for you distance the way that we are. So please continue to subscribe and tune in. Tell your friends about us. We love, love, love growing and getting to chat with more moms and getting to share a bit about what we're learning and and, um, what we're getting excited about uh, in in motherhood and in parenting and in being women. Um, So rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, email us at mombrainpod at gmail.com. We are on YouTube. We are on Instagram. We are everywhere. It's crazy. All right, guys. See you next week. Bye. (laughs) Bye, guys. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production.